Greetings and welcome to the first episode of the Big D Podcast. On the line today is my buddy uh, Jeff Mayer in, uh, where are you, Iowa? Northeast Iowa, where it snowed yesterday. (laughs) It must be 2020 because it's snowing in October. What next? Yeah, that's every year. That's just Iowa. If it's snowing in uh, Florida, that would be 2020. (laughs) I might be in December, right? Well, today we will be talking about how sports production has changed during the pandemic. Well, first off, what's different about the uh, sports highlights in Iowa compared to what you saw here in Florida? Well, for one, um, we were playing uh, high school baseball and softball over the summer, so we got back to sports before uh, before anybody. But in terms of pros and, and, and colleges, um, you know, we're, we're waiting on uh, University of Iowa to start up next week. Um, Iowa State's played a couple of games, but Otherwise, you know, we're, we're just, we're watching on TV like the rest of, like the rest of you guys. Nobody's, uh, nobody's been allowed in a stadium here, but, you know, there's also no pro stadiums here. And, you know, we don't have, uh, minor league baseball has been canceled, and so there's a lot less going on. Yeah, do you know if fans will be allowed at, uh, do you know if fans will be allowed in uh, Iowa City for when Iowa's, the Hawkeyes start playing? Big Ten is not allowing fans this year. No fans at any Big Ten games. Not same, even in, I believe that's going to be the same with the Pac-10. Not even in Columbus? Nope, it was a conference decision. They didn't want to give one school a, an advantage over the other based on whose governor was going to let fans in and, and what's going to happen. So no fans in, in, in any Big Ten games the last I've heard. Speaking of Big Ten, did you hear about what's happening in Ann Arbor? Um, no. Because I'm hearing like Michigan, like University of Michigan is like putting its uh, undergrad student population on lockdown because of all these COVID cases. I have not heard. I know University of Iowa earlier this year, um, about two weeks into classes, as, as a ton of the classes were starting to switch back to uh, back to online. They started giving a lot of their their students the opportunities to move home, and um, I think they still have some students on campus. I think they're still doing some classes in person, but I would not be I would not be at all surprised for the rest of the year. I know. Um, University of Iowa and I think Iowa State as well are both sending students home at Thanksgiving, having them finish up their finals and stuff remotely, and then running a a mini winter session where you could take like one or two credits over the uh, a one month term in December and January, and then not coming back until later in January and skipping spring break. So they're trying what they can. Yeah, it seems odd that we're having like discussions over like hybrid class or whether like online or in-person classes because depending on what you read, there are different articles and facts about like, oh, online class to do this or hybrid class to do this or because if kids can't participate in online learning, then they're at a deficit. But 
if kids are in the classroom, then they risk potentially spreading or unknowingly spreading. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, we, we're in that, that boat here where we started our kids online, things went decently in schools. So we have our kids in school right now and are just keeping an eye on the numbers, but um, you know, the, the safest way to get schools going, safest way to get games going is to, to keep, keep the outbreak numbers down. And uh, if the numbers are up in a, in a given location, then you know, I think you're gonna see more people online, less fans in the stands, less games being played, so. Yeah, speaking of games, what do you think has been the biggest difference with watching how the games all produced since the pandemic broke out? Um, remote production has become, and, and remote production, mind you, was becoming a big deal. Um, I remember when, when FGCU played um, Lipscomb in the conference championship game, the, the huge second half comeback that Zach Johnson tried to make uh, against Garrison Matthews and, and, and the Bison. Um, you know, ESPN had their, you know, FGCU hosted that game at Alico Arena. It was an ESPN game. ESPN had their big production truck back behind Alico Arena, but there were two people in that whole truck. It was a, a engineer and an audio op and they were streaming that entire feed the cameras in the in the arena all the microphones um and and all the uh announcers streaming all that back up to bristol where it was getting produced in a um in a control room in bristol and nespn had already had set up for remote production to be able to um stream back or or by a satellite send back all of the uh, stadium um, footage. Uh, they had that set up from uh, Bristol. They had a set up in Charlotte and they had a set up in Orlando at Wide World of Sports. Um, baseball the last couple of years have been doing the same thing. I think, you know, the Red Sox uh, were one where they stopped sending a crew on the road. Um, they would send some camera people on the road, but then they would send all of their camera footage back to their control room in Boston. And, and for road games, they would actually uh, booth the games and, and compile everything, insert the graphics, um, and do all the mixing uh, back in their main control room. So remote production was already something that, that the industry was moving towards. Um, you know, the less equipment you need to haul around the country, the fewer people you need to, um, uh, you need to put up in hotels and, and hire from market to market as opposed to just having a, a director that lives in Charlotte and, and works in the Charlotte control room. Um, it was already moving that way. This spring and this summer, um, you've seen a lot more where the control room's gone remote. Um, whether it's in news, I've, I've had friends that worked with me in, in news in Fort Myers that were directing newscasts not from a control room, but from their, their dining room table. They would get a headset feed, they'd get a uh, feed of all their cameras, uh, team view into their computer where they can see their switcher and, and all their automation and, and they could just do everything from home. Yeah, I'm sure you've seen plenty of newscasts where the meteorologists or the news anchors will 
broadcasting from home, whether they were just home being there or whether they were actually in contact with a COVID-infected person. Yeah, when, when this first started, everybody stayed away. Um, you know, everybody was as many, few people as possible were in the station as, as they needed to be. Um, when we talk about sports, you know, you can't replace most of your camera operators in a stadium, um, but you've seen more, more and more robotic cameras. Um, <clears throat> you know, you might not have a, um, you might not have a producing team, a producing team, a, a you know, a production team in the truck behind the stadium. You might have your producer in his office at home. Um, you know, somebody running graphics from, from their office, uh, you know, just depending on where people get a chance to dial in um, and operate equipment that might be on site, but the people are controlling that equipment from their computers at home. So there's been a, a huge increase in the number of uh, productions all across the, the television spectrum where, you know, Technology was was pretty much there, and um, you know we're able to use that technology to produce things without people physically being in the space where they were being produced. With announcers halfway between, with crews halfway between, having crews broadcast live on scene and at a secondary location. Which sports slash announce crew has done the best job of making the event seem like a normal sports event? Um, I probably haven't paid enough attention to, to say which, which crew has done a good job. Um, you know, the, the announcers are, are a separate thing altogether. You have... You have some announcers, you know, you look at the NFL games and, and, and Joe Buck and Troy Aikman are going from stadium to stadium, um, you know, listen to Raider games and then uh, Brett Musburger's calling the games from his ranch in Montana. Um, and so I think it was the, the WNBA, they, they didn't have announcers, at least most of the games, they didn't have announcers in the bubble. The, the announcers would be sitting in their homes, they'd have a, a program feed, They'd have a, a, a you know, a, a feed of, of the, uh, um, uh, whether it was, uh, um, WNBA was using uh, Ross Cloud Production, um, <clears throat> the Ross Production Cloud, and, and they would have a, um, a feed in front of them that would show them the, the program, the replay. They would be able to see their, their, um, their play-by-play -play partner, their color analyst, on just like they're doing a Zoom call together, and then they'd be watching the game and calling it from home. Um, certainly makes that more difficult when you're calling from a monitor rather than when you're at the game itself. You can't just crank your head over and look at the bench, or you know, you're not watching with your own eyes. You're watching off of a monitor. But um, you know, that it's it is interesting to watch the games if you. You know, if you kind of zone out and aren't paying really close attention, you hear the crowd noise. It, it's, it seems like it's normal if, if, they, if they do a good job with the crowd noise. Um, sometimes the, the guy on the crowd noise app will 
crank it up for something and you look up and wonder what happened and it's like a three yard run and you're wondering why everybody's cheering. Um, but then you take this really wide shot of the stadium and, and there's, there's all this noise and there's nobody there. So uh, it's got to be, uh, you know, it's got to be really difficult to be calling those games, um, hearing it much more silent in the stadium than it is in person um, or than it is on TV, but, you know, not be able to feed into that crowd noise, not be able to play off of that um, when, when you're out on site. So, I mean, I think largely if, if I've, I've watched enough games casually, I haven't noticed a difference. I think it speaks to, to you know, most of, of the crews out there and, and how experienced and how professional they are that they just go in, they call their game and, um, you know, you're not, you're not noticing any difference. It doesn't sound like a minor league hockey game with, with 25 people in the barn. Um, you know, and, and the, you know, the, uh, the crews definitely aren't, um, you know, the ones that are at home versus the ones that are, um, versus the ones that are, uh, um, on the road. And in some cases, you know, watch the Tour de France all summer and they didn't even have announcers in France. They were broadcasting from Connecticut or the UK, um, sometimes both. And so, you know, that's a, a pretty impressive feat to pull off um, and make the audience, uh, you and public at home, feel like they're there and part of the game. I'm not sure if you watched the uh, PGA Championship at Holden Park with the U.S. Open at uh, Wingfoot, but it was sort of odd seeing Jim Nance called the PGA Championship from San Francisco and the rest of the crew in Orlando, right? Um, I'm not, yeah, I don't know where everybody was, but again, the, you know, the way that they're able to bring in technology and, and just like you, you know, whether it's a newscast where one anchor's in the studio and another anchor's in their living room or, you know, the weather guy's in front of a big screen TV in his, you know, spare bedroom, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty cool to see what we've been able to do in 2020 that, Certainly in 2000, when I got, you know, out of college and started in this business, um, there's no way you could have pulled anything close to this off. You might have been able to get one anchor um, remote, but to do an entire production remotely, um, just unheard of 20 years ago. Uh, what's one thing you would change with the production because, you know, you always like to tinker with with a few things once in a while. I always like, what? <laughs> What's the one thing you would tinker with these productions? Tinker. Um, I don't know what the answer is, but the crowd noise and, and the wide shots of the crowd are really just strange to me. Um, you know, the NBA was one thing where you had the screens all around and you could see the fans. Um, and in the NBA, you're used to hearing, you know, think about, think about what an NBA game sounds like on TV. Um, there's, there's a lot more music. Uh, you know, the um, uh, almost drives you crazy if you're at a game where all you're hearing is like constant barrage of music over the PA system all game long. 
and you know, it just, it feels so weird, but on TV, it sounds so natural. And, and so you don't have that juxtaposition of a really loud arena and really empty seats. Um, but then you watch a major league baseball game or uh, an NFL game and, and you hear the crowd noise go up and then they cut to this wide shot and there's nobody there. Um, you know, I, I, I'm sure, I'm sure part of that is if, if this, the arena sounded empty and, and you wouldn't get as many people watching on TV, the excitement wouldn't feel like it's there. It wouldn't feel like a real game and people would feel strange watching it. Um, you know, I, I do, I do find myself, you know, getting caught up with that more than anything else watching that, you know, how it's just weird. It's just the best way to put it. And, and you know, maybe it's just me, um, you know, and, and certainly I, I wouldn't be the one to change it if the network was saying, nope, this is going to get us twice the fans. I'd be like, okay, more crowd noise then. Um, hologram fans in the stands. That, that I would, and, and I think Fox got rid of that, but the hologram fans were probably the, the worst, um, the worst part of this. Oh, the, uh, when uh, Fox uh, brought in those fake fans for those uh, Saturday games of the week. Yep. Yeah, and, and the, the kids were the same size as the adults, and a ball would go into foul territory and would hit a hologram and nobody would move. It was, it was strange. Um, I think if you have time to play it out, like there's, there's opportunities there, right? You can, um, you get fans to, um, you know, get on an app and, and like a play or not like a play. And the crowd noise adjusts based on how the fans at home are reacting. At the very least, um, you know, allow for some interaction in that way, um, you know, and, and somehow make it, um, make that part of the experience as opposed to, you know, faking a crowd noise or, um, you know, simulating what it might sound like. But uh, otherwise, you know, the, it's, it's not nearly as, not nearly as jarring to watch, you know, a, a, an empty stadium, whether it's, uh, um, you know, last night in Buffalo, whether it's, um, uh, you know, Giant Stadium, which is ha has to be the happiest two fan bases that they, they're not even allowed to show up this year. It's, it's, it's like the state of New York and or state of New Jersey is doing them a favor by, you know, saying, no, 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 just stay away from the Giants and Jets games and stuff. It's fine. You, you don't even need to be here. It, it, it's going to be great. Um, you know, watch yeah. on TV or... At least yeah. the Giants won a game. The Jets might not win a game until... Until uh, maybe Cincinnati, maybe Cincinnati. Cincinnati's going to beat them. Joe Burrow's not losing to the Jets. <laughs> so no, I, I, it's it's a great question. Um, you know, probably more. I like what the NBA did in the arena, having fans at home. Um, you know, maybe your on-screen graphics uh, start. You know start including more fan responses, start including viewer polls, um, you know, embrace the fact that at the games, especially where you don't have fans in, in the crowd, embrace the fact that, that your fan base is at home and watching and, and um, you know, try to, you know, try to tap into some of that a little bit more. Speaking of fans, it was, 
so odd watching the two different LCS series and seeing fans in San Diego in uh, Arlington for the Braves and Dodgers and no fans in San Diego for the Astros and Rays. I mean, for a Dodger fan, I mean, you'd think instead of going to a playoff game at home, I'm flying to Arlington, getting on an airplane, and seeing my team playing Arlington. I mean, the crowd and the game seven crowd in Arlington two nights ago sounded like Dodger Stadium. That place was jumping while San Diego sounded more like a backfield game in the middle of February. Yeah, I mean, and, and I don't know if they're supplementing, um, you know, the smaller crowds with additional crowd noise, but, um, you know, you do wonder, and, and I, I kind of thought about it watching game six and seven at the same night, is it going to be an advantage for the Dodgers having played the LCS with fans and, and they're used to it, and now the Rays are coming out to, uh, to Texas, and, you know, Rays are going to be playing in front of, what, 13,000, 13, which is a normal home it. game for them? Yeah. So what the Rays are used to playing in front of small crowds anyway. Right, but they, but they haven't played in front of any crowds this year. And, and so, you know, that'll be a slightly smaller adjustment for them this year. But. Uh, the oddest thing I personally have, what's the oddest thing you've seen? Because the oddest thing I've seen was uh, uh, Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth wearing the face mask in Santa Clara while calling the uh, Eagles-Niners Sunday night game. Um, what's the oddest thing I've seen um, COVID, COVID-wise in, in terms of the way these broadcasts are done? Um, I mean, you know, I'll go back to the holograms. That was just weird. Um, but... Yeah, the, the, you know, the booth looks a little bit different. You get the plexiglass in the middle, so you have a wider shot. We get to see, you know, we get to sh see the shot of, uh, of um, was, it, was it Nance and, and I can't remember if it was Buck and Aikman or, or Nance and Romo, and they, they showed the wide shot, but because they, they can't frame it up really well, they can't move it over so that, you know, they're, um, they're next to each other. You get to see all the stuff laid out on the desk. You saw Nance's phone plugged in and, um, you know, just sitting out there right next to his play-by-play -play sheet. So just, you know, everything kind of looks a lot different this year, just, just out of necessity. Uh, what sport do you think has benefited the most during the sense of pandemic? Has benefited the most? Um, or maybe not benefited... I don't, know, I don't know what to say. Lost the lease. I mean, the pandemic because we thought because every sport is lost. Yeah, I mean, football's been whether, whether it's yeah. revenue, fan. fan the NFL's been in the best. The NFL's been in the best position. They had the longest to figure it out. Their season wasn't interrupted. Um, they have the most percentage of their revenue coming from television. So, you know, when 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 we look back at it in a few years and, and see, you know, which of the salary caps are going to go down, which of the revenues are going to go down this year, because major league baseball teams would have lost, you know, two thirds of their, of their local, local television broadcasts. 
um, you know, a decent chunk of their national contract because they only got two months of the regular season in. And um, certainly the NHL and the NBA having to, you know, abandon all of their home gate home gates for any type of, uh, you know, any type of uh, a home playoff game. Um, both the NBA and NHL bumping up against, you know, baseball and football. So ratings for the NBA um, would have been down, but I think the NFL has been in the best position to, you know, not lose as much as other sports. Um, you know, certainly you got to commend what the NBA and, and the NHL were able to do and figuring out a way to finish their season and, and do that safely, do that without, Pretty sure. I know the NHL finished with zero positives in their bubble. Did the did the NBA do the same I thing? I don't think the NBA had. I don't think the NBA saw any. Yeah. Positives in Orlando. They had a few people that that had to to leave the bubble and quarantine again, but um, or at least quarantine within the bubble because they <clears throat> went out. But they they managed to, you know, you know, get that done safely and and. You know, even have family come in by the time the playoffs came around. But, um, you know, you look at the results. Um, baseball's seven days away for seven games away. Maybe, you know, as, as, as few as five days away from, from crowning, a, uh, crowning a World Series champion. Um, you know, who, who's done the worst? Uh, college football, you know, uh, you know, a situation that requires organization that requires planning. And it's, it's the one sport that kind of is, is a free for all to begin with. And, and I think you saw that with now, you know, every conference doing their own thing, the big 10, just about to start up, um, pack 10, not starting up and pack 12, not starting up until November. And who knows if you're going to have a, you know, try to run a playoff with teams that have played 12 games versus teams that have played eight games and just finished their season a week ahead of time. And the pack 12 who might be playing six games, um, you know, doesn't have to worry about getting in just based on the number of games that they've had, but uh, from a, uh, you know, from a standpoint of, of kind of who's had the worst luck, it's, it's going to be that. And, um, you know, I think they'll be they'll be fine with television because people are still watching. But I'd be interested to see what you know what happens when you get in the bowl season, and, and if you're going to have these games where two teams are going to travel to different locations at, at what is looking to be potentially a, you know the middle of a third peak or the top of a third peak of of of, uh, of this virus. Um, and then the, the to be determined, obviously, is college basketball. Um, and I think, you know, what the NCAA can do to get their tournament on TV. Um, and that's probably also going to have the biggest impact because how many scholarship uh, and NCAA sports will the ability to put one tournament on you know, play 60, what, 67 games. Um, 
really affects the, the, the lifeblood of 26, 27, 28 NCAA sports. Um, if the NCAA is not able to do that and loses all that revenue, then they're going to they're gonna be in more trouble than they already are. But Could the NCAA create a bubble like the NHL and NBA did where you basically play one tournament in like a location, whether it's Vegas, Orlando, or elsewhere, and just play like what they did for that uh, Nike tournament in uh, Portland a few years ago? You know, I think the NCAA does whatever they can do to get 67 games on Turner and CBS. If that is, you know, creating four bubbles and, you know, chartering a plane from the four bubbles to the final four location, if it's, you know, putting, figuring out how to get 67 teams in one location, you know, playing without fans, it, it doesn't matter. They need to get the games on TV. They can go to Wide World of Sports and do the same thing that the NBA did. They just need, you know, I don't know how friendly ESPN is going to be to do that, but, you know, whether it's Vegas, whether it's Indy, whether it's Dallas, um, yeah, I, I, think, I think the NCAA has to do that if, if that means how many billion dollars can they, you know, of revenue do they or will they make from one tournament? They, they and is it more and is it more TV revenue or revenue from fans? Because with what Turner's paying, that TV revenue is going to be more important than whatever yep. revenue you get from t- the tickets. Yep, yep. The the revenue from the tickets certainly isn't anything to laugh at, but it's the TV revenue that they need. Awesome. About the uh, college f- football, I mean, the fact that the Big Ten and Pac-12 are playing first off is a miracle with what happened in August. But secondly, those teams don't have bye weeks. And guess what's going to happen if kids are on campus? Uh, somebody's going to test positive. And then when you have yeah. a positive case, uh, then you've got to self-quarantine. And if you don't have bye weeks, uh, you'll have problems. I mean, like the uh, the Purdue coach, Jeff Brom, tested positive and can't coach against uh, Iowa this weekend. Well, you know, Nick Saban can, you know. <laughs> well, yeah, and then, of course, Nick Saban. Is the Big Ten not playing under modified? the Big Ten not playing under modified Nick Saban rules? You know, if a, if, a, if a coach has had a certain amount of success, he could just get a couple of uh, negative tests in there and then say, no, 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 I'm good to coach. I'll be there. Although I think Nick Saban's face mask lasted about five minutes with how much he yelled against Georgia. And speaking of that game, I think the uh, Georgia-Alabama game saw better range than any of the NBA Finals games. Mm-hmm. Yep, and, and, you know, you'll see the same thing with baseball. And um, No, I, I think, um, yeah, I mean, the, the, the Big Ten impact – Pac-12 realized, you know, their their window to, to do this was not in the spring. Um, they needed to do this now, um, and so they're gonna they're gonna get the games in that they can. They're gonna, you know, what'll well, be interesting to see if you know, let's say, um, well, Ohio State, Michigan's probably the last. I haven't looked at the schedule, but Ohio State, Michigan's probably the, the last game on the on the schedule. But let's say you have like a 
an Ohio State Penn State game or you know two really good teams and and that game has to be canceled. Any any Ohio State game, any Ohio State game has to be postponed. You know, do do you well without a bye? You can't really say you can make it up at the at the end of the year. You you just you gotta you know you gotta figure out a way to you know Ohio State Penn State gets postponed early. Do you like? tell Rutgers or Maryland who's playing one of those teams at the end of the year, Hey, no, 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 we're going to cancel your game for you. And, and we're going to play this one instead. But I think they'll play what they can. The PAC 12 has already said that they're going to factor in the number of games into their tiebreakers. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know if that's fair that you get penalized for, for not being able to play a game, especially if you're the team that, that didn't have to quarantine, but um, you know, I think you can see it in the NFL. Um, I think there will be games towards the end of the season that, that wind up not getting played. Um, and, and they'll, they'll just say, mm-hmm. you know, if we got to figure out how to make an Eagles team, that's going to finish, you know, six, nine and one, um, you know, win a division. Um, you know, what's going to be the difference if they're, you know, we're doing winner winning percentage for a six, nine and one team versus winning percentage for a team that might only go four and 10 because two of their games at the end of the year got canceled. So yeah, and speaking of Ohio State, Penn State, what 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 site will that be seeing an empty an empty whiteout for Ohio State, Penn State next week? And is that next week? I I didn't even Halloween know. night. Halloween night, and yeah, where are they playing this year? Happy Valley. That'll be a fun one. Oh man, the whiteout's one of my favorite atmospheres. I want to go so bad, but. I'm, I'm waiting. There won't be any fans. Right. Well, what, what do they do? Do they like, you know, and, and again, you're, you're trying to like figure out how to, how to create revenue to you. Um, you know, do you wind up, um, you know, selling, selling t-shirts to the game or something and, and put those t-shirts just on the, well, you know, a lot of these college stadiums have benches. They don't even have chair backs, but you know, put the t-shirts up on a, you know, a stand or something so that they're they're there and then ship the uh, ship the t-shirts out after the game. Just joking around that Iowa State or uh, Iowa should still uh, stripe out the stadium for one of their games just with uh, you know with cardboard cutouts that are either dressed in red and in uh, in yellow and, and gold or black and gold throughout the stadium. Well, just have one hundred and ten thousand Homa hankies, right? There's one hundred and ten thousand white towels. Yeah, just you know, with with either you know a two by four sticking up or uh, you know um, you know put them all on put them all on chair backs if you have them or cardboard cutouts, whatever you can do. Oh well, uh, well in the year of twenty twenty, expect the unexpected, right? Yep. Oh, uh, uh, thank you. Oh, go ahead. I don't know. You get. You get. Uh, thank you for being the first guest, and uh, hopefully there'll be more to come. Absolutely, Dan. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you. Thanks for having me on.